You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 23. It's always a delight when pastor asks you to speak, uh, and this is a, a text that has become very, very dear to me through the years, uh, and so hopefully we can spend some moments tonight looking at shepherds and sheep, and the Bible of Scripture calls us sheep frequently, and you might think that is a profound compliment, but uh, we'll look at uh, some examples tonight that might uh, adjust your thinking uh, before we get to that, if let me start this way. If you had an opportunity to meet someone, what is it about you that you really want them to know? What's the most important thing about you that you would want to share with someone? We meet new people all the time. You greet people. What is the main thing you want them to know about you? What you're most proud of? What's your most staunch attribute or characteristic that you want to make sure they know? Your education? Hello, I'm Dr. Kurt Stauffer. I'm not a doctor, but I remember playing basketball years ago with a guy that introduced himself to me as Charlie. Okay, so we start playing basketball with Charlie. A couple weeks into it, we'd play in the mornings. Everybody kept calling him Doc. Are you Doc? Yeah. He was a medical doctor in Orville. He didn't care if I knew that or not. I appreciated that. But what about you? What, what is it about you that you want everyone to know? Your employment position? I am a technical sales rep where I work. We hired a new guy that started putting at the bottom of his emails, senior technical representative. We don't even have one of those. But that's what he wanted you to know about him. What is it about you? Your position within your family. We became grandparents. That's pretty cool. Is that, is that the most important thing you want people to know? You just became a parent. You just got married. You're a husband now. You're a wife now. What is it about you you want people to know? A particular hobby you have that you're very skilled at. You're a second degree brown belt in something. Is that what you want people to know? And I ask that because when I read Psalm 23, the first phrase climbs right in my lap. You know what David wanted us to know about him? Before we read that, what could we say about David? King David authored this. What? He was a king. You might want to note that when you meet someone. What else? What else besides a king was David? The Bible speaks a lot about him, doesn't it? Shepherd. He was a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was a psalmist. He was a husband. He was a dad. He was many, many, many things. And yet, what does he want us to know right away? 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What did David want us to know? I need shepherded. That just stops me. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Are we even aware of the fact that we need a guide? Not that we would even mention it first. Hello, I'm Kurt. I desperately need a shepherd. No, I wouldn't mention that first. Would I mention it at all? I remember talking to one of our municipal court judges as he was looking to get signatures to get his name on the ballot to run. This was years ago. He went to a lady, knocked on her door, said, hey, I'm so-and-so looking to run for judge. Could I get you to sign this? I don't know anything about you. Tell me something about you. And it, he said it, it kind of struck him odd because he'd been in the community for, for a long time. She didn't know who he was. So he said, well, probably the most important thing you need to know about me is I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, give me the form. It was all she needed to hear. But I thought, here's a man who has quite the pedigree. What did he want her to know? The Lord is my shepherd. So I just stopped there and want to encourage us. Is that a reality that you recognize? You need a shepherd. You need a guide. Our hearts are deceitful, aren't they? We're easily misled. We're easily distracted. We desperately need to know that we need shepherded. I'm loving our small groups on Sunday mornings, you that meet on Wednesday nights as well. We just read John 3, and something I want to look at, if you turn there, you can. Otherwise, I'll just read where Jesus interacts with Nicodemus. You remember the story? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? I read that and I think, if you get any training on being a speaker, and you're up on a platform and you offer the opportunity for questions, questions and answers, and you get a question, the way you're taught to respond is, wow, that's an excellent question. That's very insightful for you to notice that and ask. You don't say, are you kidding me? What does Jesus say to this master teacher? Art thou a master and you don't know these things? What is he saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, you have all this brilliance and yet this very basic truth. You have no idea. And when I'm reading Psalm 23, that first phrase, that hits me. I need a shepherd. I need a guide. And I fear I don't get that. I think I'm brilliant enough to embark on my week, lead my wife and kids, accomplish the tasks, and yet the basic thing, oh great Nicodemus, is you need Christ. And as I'm reading our text in Psalm 23, friends, we need, we need a shepherd. We're not as developed spiritually as we might think, and I just fear we're missing a basic, basic truth. You and I need a shepherd. This needs to be much more of a central understanding when we interact with others. It's not all these wonderful titles I hold. It's not all these impressive, impressive accomplishments I have achieved. Rather, it is the reality that most notably, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my shepherd, and I very much depend on his leadership. When our boys were young, I grew up having animals. A lot of lessons to be learned with responsibility as a kid with that. So when we, my wife and I had three boys, when we raised them up, we had the same thing. Well, one of the lessons I thought was important that I did not have as a kid is sheep. So we actually bought sheep. And at my introduction to being a shepherd was, we didn't have many, eight maybe, and it was funny, this, tonight I asked Kyle, my youngest is 21, I said, what's the number, the ear tag number of that sheep that was 97? <laughs> we had one that was a booger, and he remembered it all these years later. Anyway, my introduction to it is I went to the farmer, I had my trailer behind the truck, went to the farmer to load up the sheep, and he had them already penned up in the barn. So I backed the trailer up to it, we opened the door, and we spent the next, I don't even know how long, trying to chase these brilliant pieces of livestock into the back of my trailer. 
and we were worn out. And finally, the farmer just said, Kurt, just, just stop. Okay, what? He said, we, let's just catch one. So we caught one and drug her into the back of the trailer, tied her into the front of the trailer, and he said, now, Kurt, step out of the way. We could not have kept the rest of the sheep out of the trailer. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, you call us those. What did I just watch? They wouldn't go in that trailer for anything. And now two seconds later, you couldn't have chased them out of the trailer. And as I was introduced to shepherding that way, I thought, Lord, help us as a family to let these dumb creatures teach us some about us and the relationship we should have with our shepherd. Sheep are stupid. I don't know a neat way to say that, but they're stupid. Uh, and from what I read, they're, they're likely the most needy class of livestock that exists. And Jesus, in his wisdom, calls us that. And I believe he does so, so that we can read a text like Psalm 23 and learn from it. And the first thing we need to learn from it is, if you're taking notes, the first line there is that I need a guide. I need a guide. In many, many ways, we reflect these habits of sheep. The first one I want us to see is that I need a guide. The second phrase penned by David, I shall not want. Now, what does that mean? Was David ever in want? Did David ever find himself in a position of lack? Yes. Yes. Did, was he out of resources at times? Was he fleeing from King Saul at times? Was he fleeing from his son at times? So this shall not want doesn't mean we will never experience need, but rather has the understanding that regardless of our circumstances, I am content. 1 Timothy 6, verse 8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. I am completely satisfied because I know that everything I experience has been approved by the shepherd. And I am completely satisfied with the management he has on my life. That's what the verse means. Now let's try to slide those shoes on. Is that true? Are you and am I completely satisfied with his management? Or like the sheep, 
Are we looking over the fence, wondering if the pasture over there would be a little nicer? In spite of all we have and all we have been given in Christ, we're looking for something more. Are we content like the psalmist? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? How many things did they have a yes to? An abundance, wasn't it? Everything. An abundant blessing of blessing. How many no's? One. What did they want? Somehow they were not content with this super abundance. And we can pick at Adam and Eve, but I would say you and I would be in that same position. God has given us much, and somehow we're walking the edge of the fence just thinking that the alfalfa over there is a little tastier than what I have. It's not. And I will share the... It's typically in a flock or a herd, the same animal that keeps busting through the fence. So it's, it, it, it has very little to do with the actual provision of the pasture. It has a lot to do with that individual animal, you and me. Are we content with what the shepherd has provided for us? Or are we thinking, I'd do better over there without all of these rules. You remember the story in 2 Kings. Let's just turn there if we could. If you're concerned we're not going to get through our outline, don't be concerned. We absolutely are not going to get through our outline. But this, this text to me is so rich. I'd love us to just land on a few of these truths and really let God change us with them. Then race through a text. Second Kings five. Elisha, you remember the story. Naaman comes. He has uh, leprosy, and he wanted uh, the king of Israel to heal him. But the king of Israel couldn't. Elisha said, "Send him to me, and I will intervene." So Elisha says, sent messengers to him and said, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh, flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. You remember the story. Naaman, Naaman was angry. What do you mean? You're not going to come out and do something spectacular? I am Naaman. No, just wash in the Jordan, the stinking, filthy, little, crummy Jordan River. And he's like, I got better, cleaner rivers at home. You remember the story. His servants convince him to do something as little as this. And he humbles himself and actually then does wash in the Jordan, and he is cleansed. And if you'll pick up the reading in verse 15, And Naaman, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. What? 
What are we looking at again? I shall not want. I am content with the provision of my shepherd. Elisha, no, Naaman, I don't need any of your stuff. Keep your stuff. I am completely content with what God has given me. Is that you? Is that me? Are we completely content? Or are we always looking for, ooh, I can make an extra five grand doing what? Huh? What? Now, am I saying it's evil to earn an extra five grand? No. But I'm saying we better be careful. Because we often find ourselves, that sheep, busting through the fence because we think our idea is so much better than what God has provided. Our story in 2 Kings continues, if you'll recall. Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. And in verse 20, But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content. I love that. Isn't that just a punch right in the nose? Be content. Take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two, large, in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the man go, men go, and they departed. I'm not looking to dissect this text. I just want us to look at it from the thought of, are you content? Gehazi wasn't. Elisha was. It's as simple as that. Well, Kurt, do you really think it would be a bad thing to accept payment from Naaman? Would it be wrong not to accept payment from Naaman? But we don't even think that way, do we? Why not? Can I suggest it's because we're not content? Our shepherd has done, we'll sing and we'll talk that, boy, if I have Christ, I have everything. Is that true? Absolutely, that's true. And in this pristine little environment, that's easy for us to say and sing about. But when we leave here, and we're in the, the details of life, is it still enough? Well, of course it is, but somehow we find ourselves, I would suggest, being that sheep that just is looking over there because over here isn't as good as over there because I'm a smart sheep, aren't we? Haven't we already established that? Are we absolutely satisfied such that we're not looking for provisions from another? I love watching 
some of the stuff I do with the sheriff's office, we, we interact with canines sometimes, uh, service dogs. And they don't need anything from anybody except their master. And you can hand them the most delicious whatever dogs find delicious. And they won't even look at it. Why? They're trained that their master is where they get their sustenance. Period. They're not going to risk eating something that's contaminated by somebody that's trying to harm them. It's not even an option. They don't eat it. Sheep, in the fold of God, we are so well cared for. And yet we are going to try to sneak through the fence and nibble on those grasses elsewhere. Why? So I, I just ask that we look at this text as the psalmist does. I need shepherded. And the second point would be I will choose contentment. It's a choice. Are you going to choose contentment? Or are you going to choose to be seeking something else? Verse number two, as we're racing through our text. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And the actual reading would be more, he makes it able for me to lie down in green pastures. But before we get to the lie down part, let me just ask, where in Israel did these lush green pastures come from? It's an arid land, right? Where, where did this pasture come from? The shepherd prepared it, right? The shepherd prepared this area, removed the dangerous rocks, removed the holes that would harm the flock, removed the poisonous plants, rid the area of predators. This green pasture didn't just happen that the sheep found. It was prepared by much sweat and much effort by the shepherd, his labor created this area for the sheep to enjoy. He makes it able for us to lie down. Do we recognize in our lives that our shepherd has gone before us and prepared these places for us? Do we stop and, and recognize that? This blessing you live in or this trial you're walking through didn't just happen our shepherd led this. Our shepherd went before us and prepared this. Now, on the lie down portion. There are several realities that must be present for a sheep to be able to lie down and rest. And each of these could be a lesson all by themselves. But I'll mainly just mention them and move along. First of all, the sheep must be free from fear. An afraid sheep will not lay down and rest. They will panic. They will run. Sheep don't have a lot of defense mechanism. They run. They don't know where they're running, but they are getting there. 
Predators can strike panic, sudden noises, a vehicle backfiring, all kinds of strange movement can cause anxious moments in the flock, and they do not rest. And there's a wide variety of matters that can cause us to fear, aren't there? We'll not list them, them all, but I got, I got a call this week out on uh, Route 30 in Elyria Road, a tanker truck rolled, if you guys were aware of that. The lady, the, the wife, and her pastor called me to find out if I could get any information. They didn't know. Is my husband okay? What's going on? If I would have encouraged her to take a nap, not a chance, is there? Not a chance. Why not? Because she's afraid. What happened to my husband? I don't know what happened. And that's just one simple example. But sheep. These little animals, they can't lie down and rest if they're fearful. And I would suggest, nor can we. Nor can we. Secondly, sheep must be free from strife within the flock. I told you we had a nasty sheep, number 97. She was meaner than dirt. I don't know why. She just had an attitude. And livestock has this... In, with sheep, it would be called a butting order. They butt their heads. And you can have seven of the sheep grazing peacefully, but this old girl comes because evidently that clover plant is more tasty than the one over here where she's at, and she will knock them out of the way. And without going into a lot of application in a setting like this, but strife within the flock, causes sheep not to be able to rest. And I'm not aware of strife in our flock, but I would just raise that banner that if you're a participant in strife within a flock, that's very detrimental to the health of the sheep. Sheep can't rest. Internal friction, posturing, will cause sheep to be unsettled and unable to rest. This constant tension generates strife. And are we seeking to position ourselves as that head sheep? What even that looks like in our minds? I don't even know. But are you worried about your rank? Are you worried about your position? Are you worried that you are not seen as you ought to be, so you're kind of willing to mistreat others and misrepresent yourself to get what you think you should have. Internal conflict in a flock prevents a flock from resting. Prevents the flock from being able to lie down. Are there petty conflicts between us that distract us? Thirdly, sheep must be free from torment. And mainly I would look at that as, as flies, as pests, constantly annoying and tormenting. Uh, a swarm of flies can bring such torment that an entire flock will run in agitation rather than comfortably graze. And does the sheep that is off by themselves get the greatest relief? Or is it the sheep that is amongst the flock close to the shepherd that gets the most relief? And fourthly, sheep must be free from hunger. If they're hungry, they're not going to lie down and rest. They're going to 
uh, agitatedly seek food. So those are four elements that need to exist for the sheep to be able to maketh me lie down in our text. But the key element to all of those four things is what? It's the shepherd. Who provides all of this? The shepherd does. The sheep don't handle it themselves. There's not this really brilliant sheep, assuming that even exists. But there isn't a brilliant sheep or a group of sheep that make plans to prosper the flock. It doesn't exist. It's the shepherd. The shepherd prepares, provides for the pasturage for the benefit of the flock. He anoints their head with oil if we get there, which we likely won't. But to rid the pests, he prepares this flock and he prepares the pasturage. And he can handle, uh, when the shepherd is in the midst of the sheep, are the sheep fighting over who's top dog? No. The shepherd's there. And uh, there's references to the rod and the staff also that he can bring. But those elements, Jesus as our shepherd is trying to make it so that we can lie down in green pastures. And if we're looking to generate that ourselves, we're missing the peace and the rest that he intends to give us. So to honestly answer the question is to go a long way in helping us thrive in this environment. Are you more like the sheep who is at rest, close to the shepherd, grateful for the provision of the shepherd, and working to get along with the other sheep? Or are you part of an agitation with any of those elements? So this point for 2A would be, I will rest in his care. I will rest in his care. Then the second part of verse 2. He leadeth me beside the still water. Sheep don't drink out of rapidly moving water. It frightens them. So where do still waters come from? Where does everything that sustains the sheep come from? The shepherd. So the shepherd would very painstakingly reroute portion of a moving river to be a little, not stagnant, but a little pool of clear, cool water where the sheep could safely drink out of a calm area. Knowing that the shepherd has labored to create these pools of delightful drinking should cause us to anticipate the satisfaction of drinking there. Yet, how often do we see people drinking from a mud puddle? I'm thirsty, and I'm thirsty now. So I'm going to drink at the first source of water I find. The shepherd has labored to prepare a safe, delightful place for us to be satisfied. I don't want to wait. I'm thirsty now. So what might be the problem of drinking from a mud puddle that a thousand other sheep have walked through? I don't want to get too graphic, but a few things pop in my mind that wouldn't be too delicious. But we do that. We do that. I want what I want now. 
as I was jotting down some notes, just the, looking in our community for many examples, but a marriage. God has created wonderful satisfaction in a pure relationship in a marriage. I don't want to wait. I want, I'm thirsty, and I'm thirsty now. I'm not going to wait for some still, cool water. I want something now. And what does that give you? The parasites and the filth from drinking from a mud puddle. But we do that. I don't have any money, but I want that car, and I want it now. Well, the borrower is slave to the lender. I want it now. Well, if you wait, God will bring you to this wonderful, beautiful, cool, clear water. But I want it now. And we live that way. As sheep in the fold of God, we live that way. And I would just ask us why. Much goes back to the contentment. But to recognize the shepherd has provided so much goodness for us. Can we delay our gratification? We live in a very impatient culture. We want everything now. Not only do we want everything now, I deserve everything now. But the now satisfaction is laced with disease and filth. Remember the Jews in Exodus 32? Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. What did those precious Israelites do? Made a graven image. We don't even know what, we don't know, where, where's this Moses character anyway? We don't know what happened to him. Aaron, make us an image. What was the shepherd doing? He was, he was meeting with their leader to prepare for them Ten Commandments on how he wanted his chosen people to live. I don't want to wait. I want to now. You see those examples in the Old Testament time and time again. Had God forgotten about the Israelites in that text? No. He was actively working to minister to them. But they missed that. They wanted it now. Has God forgotten about you? Or me? We don't know. Where's Moses? We don't even know. There are things I would suggest in your life, in my life, that we don't know what's going on. But our shepherd does. And he is preparing for us this still cool water. The delayed satisfaction is filled with beauty, peace, and delight. 
May I encourage each of us to choose this patience. And it's not a mild, it's not a mindless idleness. It's an expectant patience. I'm just going to sit back, hey, whatever God does, does. No. Look at Scripture. Look at what He has done. Would that not generate an excitement in our lives? What is He going to do next? I don't know, but it's going to be incredible. And I'm going to have a front row seat when it happens. That's what I'm talking about. Being a sheep close to the shepherd, anticipating what He's going to do next. Boy, this, this is kind of painful. Okay, it might be kind of painful right now, but he's got something in store, eternity, if nothing sooner, that is incredible, that's incredible for us. So are we more like that impatient sheep who rushes into poor watering sources for satisfaction, or do we wait for the shepherd's pure, still water? I will wait for his provisions, if you're taking notes. I will wait for his provisions. Wow, we're going to get through second, first part of verse 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I hope when you read this psalm, you never do it the same, because it's an incredible text. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. Sheep are helpless creatures. And sheep will, uh, if they're laying in a pasture field, they'll they'll have a tendency to kind of nestle down into a a little, uh, hole's not the right word, divot, dimple, little low spot in the ground. Just it's a little cooler, it's nice and cozy. And if they're not careful, sometimes when they lay down in those they'll lose their center of gravity and they'll fall on their back and they can't get up. You might think, what's the big deal with that? Well, it is a big deal because the stomach acids can start to cause problems. And ultimately, if, it's, if they're heavy enough, if they're with lamb or if they're just a, a larger animal or it's real hot, it can actually be fatal. But who, what does our text say? Who restores them? Who, who sets them back up? The shepherd does. If you're that sheep and you find yourself in a very difficult situation, what are sheep going to try to do? Peacefully wait for the shepherd? Oh, no. They're going to kick and carry on like a sheep. (laughs) Making the mess worse. Becoming more exhausted. Further agitating their stomach, further challenging their position to ever stand up. The shepherd is the one that rescues that sheep. The shepherd is the one watching the flock for this very thing that happens. He's looking for this situation. He is on duty and he will intervene as he sees this taking place. Do we believe this? Do we believe that he will restore my soul? Or do we believe that it's my job to restore my soul? It's my job to get out of all of these challenges. He is on duty. The thought that we are all alone and we have to right this situation is a problem. And I believe that's one of Satan's ploys to harm us is that we'll think we're alone. 
and the shepherd's not seeing this. The other sheep can't help me. I'm all alone. I'm in the midst of this difficult situation, and I need to do something. No one sees me. No one is aware that I'm hurting. No one else has ever been in this same condition. None of these thoughts are true. But they seem so real when we're struggling with that difficult situation. Are we more like that sheep who violently struggles to right the situation? Or more like the sheep who would cry out to the shepherd to come and rescue us? Remember Elijah at Mount Carmel? That incredible victory where he prayed and fire came down and lapped up the offering and the water and the wood. Right after that, immediately after that, Elijah needed restored, didn't he? What happened? Ahab's wife, Jezebel, told him that she was going to kill him. And Elijah called out to the Lord, and he said what? Lord, please just let me die. After Mount Carmel, this creature, this sheep, wished for death because he was in a difficult situation and I would say if we're honest many of us have fallen prey to incorrect thinking like that because we see no way out I'm in a hole and I can't get out but what have we forgotten it's not me that gets me out of the hole it's not me that restores me it's my shepherd and he says he will restore my soul the psalmist has all this confidence that he will restore my soul. And as Elijah was calling out for death, God reached down and restored his thinking. Do you remember that? In, uh, I love the, how it ended. Elijah thought he was all alone, and I believe he really thought he was all alone. And listen to what the Lord tells him. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. Would that restore an Elijah who thought he was all alone? Yeah. Who did that? Our shepherd did that. So as we're running out of time. May I encourage you to read this psalm slowly and just bask in our shepherd who does all of these things for us. John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Our shepherd. He knows Sheep need a lot of care, doesn't he? He made us that way. He intends to be the shepherd of a stupid, 
easily misled, easily distracted people. He knows we're that way. But He loves that relationship and He wants us to look to Him rather than ourselves. I love this text. I would love to go through it all, but we'd be here past all of our bedtime. So, if you would, let's uh, stand with me and, and we'll close in prayer, please.